that passage out of Luke chapter 2 is the traditional Christmas story that we read and we think about during this time of the year. But jumping into the story of Jesus' birth at that point, or even at the Matthew uh, chapter 1 verse 18 chunk that Tim Adams read, jumping in there is like jumping into the Grinch, the movie, at the point where he's got all the presents loaded back onto the sleigh and he's riding back down into Whoville, replacing everything, and then carving up the roast beast. It's a great moment, but it misses something. It misses all the buildup. It misses all the lead up. It tarnishes the moment a little bit when you don't have the entire story. If you were to ask my wife or I, how did you meet? We would give you the short answer to the story. We would say, well, we met at a mutual friend's wedding. She was a bridesmaid. I was an usher. And we started dating after that. But if we had time to sit down and really talk about how it is that we met, I would jump way back before that because the circumstances that led up to us meeting play themselves out over a long period of time. I had decided to go to college at the University of Missouri. I ran track there. I got injured, so I stopped running, and it meant I could graduate early. So then I happened to be home when this wedding was taking place, and Melody had gone to school in Los Angeles, and she was only home for two weeks. She came home for that wedding, and then she was headed back out to college, and she was never coming back to Kansas City, at least in her plan. And then she met Prince Charming. And everything changed. And that moment in and of itself, like to just say we met at a mutual friend's wedding is great, but when you have kind of the whole story and all the backlog to it, the prologue and the introduction, it brings so much more meaning to the moment where I walk into this wedding rehearsal. (laughs) And the crowd parts, and there's like this ray of light that descends upon the most beautiful woman I've ever seen, and I think to myself, I'm going to marry her. She just doesn't know it yet. Right, That, the whole story, adds so much depth and so much dimension to what it is that you're talking about when you reach the high point. The birth of Jesus Christ is the high point of all of human history. And yet there's so much that leads up to it. And if we just jump into the story at this is how Jesus was born, we're missing out on a lot. And so Matthew, at the start of his gospel account, gives this genealogy. And it's basically a very compact summary of all the stuff that happened that led up to Jesus. And so over the last few weeks, we've been working through it. The names come in three groupings of 14 names each. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the first grouping. Included in that first group of names are some of the Old Testament's greatest figures. They've got stories that come with these triumphs of faith and obedience to the Lord and covenant promises from God that are going to span through the generations. Names like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and it finishes that first grouping of 14 names with David, the greatest king of all of Israel's history. And so Abraham gets this promise from God that all the nations are going to be blessed through him, and David gets this promise that someone from his family is going to sit on the throne of Israel forever. We worked through those names, and a little bit of reflection, we saw that in our triumphs, There's only meaning because God is with us. Our life's triumphs have meaning because God is with us. If God hadn't been directing and guiding all of the lives and the histories of these individuals, then Abraham moving from Ur to some other land or David becoming the king of a small nation called Israel, they would be nothing. But they have huge meaning because God is with them. He's guiding those moments. Let me put it another way. No one in this room 
No one outside of this room that's ever lived or ever will live in and of themselves is just so magnificent and so wonderful that their name would have eternal meaning. It's just not possible. But the fact that God is present, that God is with us, means that the triumphant moments in our lives ultimately have meaning and they won't just be forgotten. He's leading and he's guiding. The next 14 names that come in Matthew's genealogy are the polar opposite. For all of the great faith and kind of glory of the first 14 names, the second 14 are on the very opposite side of the spectrum. They're full of failure and sin. The names in the second 14, our grouping of 14, are known more for their failures than they are for anything else. David is the start of the second grouping. The first grouping, he's in this hall of fame, if you will, because of slaying Goliath and subduing the Philistines and ushering Israel into this amazing time of peace and security. But then he's also the same David who had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba, who had Bathsheba's husband killed in order to cover it up. There's a listing of kings who did far more to lead Israel away from God than they did to lead God's people toward God. And yet, here they are in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And it goes to show us this, that failure is not final because God is with us. Let me put that another way. There's no person in this room who due to any amount of sin or reckless living or apathy toward God could ever do enough to thwart the plan of God. It's simply impossible. No human being has that kind of power. God is sovereign. He's over all things. He's guiding and directing history. And there's no amount of messing up or screwing up that could possibly throw him off of his eternal plan. The other truth there as an encouragement is that there's no amount of sinning that could put us outside of God's grace. There's no amount of wayward living that could throw us beyond the reach of God's loving arms, pulling us back in close to himself, should we choose to receive the free grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ. It's impossible. Our failure is not final, but it's not final because God is with us. And that leads us to a third grouping of names. Even if you're an Old Testament scholar, who knows all that there is to know about the Old Testament, the likelihood is that you don't know many of the names in the third grouping of Matthew's genealogy. No one knows very much about them. They're mostly anonymous individuals. You might know of Zerubbabel. He's got some airtime late in the Old Testament history. You probably know of Joseph because he's the earthly father of Jesus. But all the names that fall in between are unknown individuals. The pages of the Old Testament are not filled with their deeds. We don't know who they were married to, whether they were faithful or unfaithful. We don't know what their jobs were. We know that they are in the lineage of Jesus Christ, and that's about it. You might feel that kind of way. Most of us probably don't picture ourselves as parallel to the great heroes of the Old Testament, to the great heroes of distant Christian and Jewish past. We don't think of ourselves as so magnificent that God would make a covenant promise to us that he's going to bless the entire earth through us. We don't think of ourselves as, you know, so great that we would rival David as a king over a lot of people. But we also don't think of ourselves as such failures that history is going to record our misdeeds for all time. We're probably somewhere in the middle. We're more along the lines of mostly unknown. Good things in life, bad things in life. 
We go to work every day, punch the clock. We raise our children. We try to manage our relationships. We do the best we can to not blow it too much. We're more like the anonymous chunk here. The good news is that because God is with us, no life is invisible. No one's. All we really know about this third grouping in Matthew's genealogy is that their names are forever recorded in this book. We don't know much more. There's really not much more that we need to know. Completely anonymous individuals whose names are forever enshrined in the pages of the Bible as part of Jesus's family. Their lives aren't anonymous to God because he sees them and he knows them. Your life is not anonymous to God because he sees you and he knows you. You might be tempted to think that God is too big or too busy or too great to possibly know you. You might be tempted to think that he's too busy, you know, like upholding the universe to really care about what it is that you do. You might be tempted to think that he's got bigger problems on his hands, like world hunger or world peace or something like that, to possibly be compared about, concerned about your issues or your desires or your struggles or your hurts. But those are lies. The truth is that God is too big and too great to not know you. And Jesus is the proof. How do we know this to be true? Well, we know it because of Christmas. We know it because in the sending of Jesus, God proved his love for each and every person. It's not that God proved his love for humanity in general, though he definitely did that. It's that he proved his love for you as an individual, for you specifically. In Emmanuel, we see that God is with us. He's with each and every one of us. Even when we feel like it's completely impossible for the infinite God of all eternity to see and care about finite people in Kansas City, Missouri, Christmas reminds us of the opposite. Christmas reminds us that God is too great not to know us. He's too great and we're too loved to remain invisible to the only eyes that ultimately matter, and those are His. Christmas reminds us that because God is with us, no life is invisible. I want to take that truth and apply it to the part of the Christmas story that we're more familiar with. Because there's a group of individuals in the story of Jesus's birth who are mostly anonymous. They're the group of shepherds that the angel greets out in a field near Bethlehem. We don't know exactly where the field is. We don't know their names. We don't know anything about their families. We don't know how long they had been shepherds, if they were good shepherds or bad shepherds. We have no idea how long they were shepherds. We don't know if they're overseeing their sheep or someone else's sheep. We know nothing about them. And yet it's those individuals, unknown, unseen, mostly anonymous, that God chooses to make the greatest announcement in all of human history to. It's to those individuals that God decides, I'm sending this angel to make a proclamation that Emmanuel has arrived. This is the way it happens. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. You see, you might feel anonymous and unknown and unseen, like you just show up to a place to work where nobody cares about, or you go about your business within your home and nobody cares. But God sees, and he knows, and you're not invisible, and the good news is for you. Don't be afraid. I proclaim to you 
good news of great joy. And that good news is that peace is available to all people. Not just peace in our earthly circumstances, though that's certainly a part of it. More importantly, there is eternal peace available between a holy, righteous God and sinful, broken human beings. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus was born, that he lived, that he died, and that he resurrected in order to secure that peace for us. That's good news, and it's good news for you, no matter how anonymous you might feel. Scripture tells us that those who receive the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ will also have their name written in a book. Anonymous, seemingly unknown, finite people have their name written in what is known as the book of life, and it's recorded there forever, enshrined for all of eternity as those who are part of the family of Christ. Just like those last 14 names in Matthew's genealogy. Once your name is put in that book, it is never coming out. And that's good news. It's good news for you. But the angel goes on. He says, today in the city of David, a savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, our Lord. See, it's not just that the news is good for you. It's also that the savior was born for you. There's a downside to that news, of course, and that's that you do need to be saved. You must be saved. The presence of sin in the life of every single human being that's ever lived makes it so that you cannot put yourself back together. We need someone who can do that for us, and Jesus is that person. He wasn't just born for you. He also died for you. You're not only known by him, but you're loved by him. And you're not just loved. You're loved so much that God took it upon himself to be present with humanity so that we might be able to be present with him for all of eternity. God wasn't just interested in 33 years of time with humanity. He came that we might have an infinite number of years in his presence. And the peace of the good news is something that no one could attain for themselves. That's why you needed a savior. You see, that peace is not something that we deserve. It's not something we can earn. We cannot do enough good deeds to achieve it. We can't live in a way that's morally upright enough to merit it for ourselves. Our sin is such that the only way for us to be forgiven was for a sinless one to come and bear our punishment in our place. And the good news, the gospel, is that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. The good news is that he accomplished what we could not accomplish that he did it on our behalf and in our place. And now by faith in him, we can forever be forgiven of our sin. When we look at the baby Jesus in a manger, we're looking into the face of living, breathing grace and mercy. We're looking into the face of a savior, a savior who was born for you, a savior who was born to be with you, a savior who was born so that you might be with him. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, there's no better time. And there's also no other way to make yourself right before the Lord. God with us, good news for us, a savior born for us. But that's not where the story of these anonymous shepherds ends because there's one more thing that happens. When the angel had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. There's good news for you. A savior was born for you, but there's also a task. And that task is the same for you as it was for the shepherds. It actually comes in two different parts. The first is that the shepherds run off to see for themselves. 
You see, you can't be saved by Christ because someone sees him for you. You have to see him for yourself. You're not saved because your parents knew who Jesus was. You're not saved because your family has a history of going to church. You're not saved because you rolled in here on Christmas Eve and kind of sat passively while someone blubbered on and on about this baby in a manger. You're saved because you see who the Savior is. That's a task you've got to take upon yourself. You've got to go and see that baby in the manger. You need to go and see that man on a cross and you need to go and be able to look inside that tomb and see that he is gone and your sin is still there. And then you've got to put your faith in him and be saved. That's the only way that the Savior saving work is applied in your life. The second thing that the shepherds do is that they go and they begin to tell the message of the gospel. They become the first evangelists in the New Testament. From the moment that you place your faith in Christ on for the rest of your life, you are to make known the good news. If you know Jesus, then you are to make Jesus known. The song should no longer be merely hark the herald angels sing, but instead hark the seen and saved sinner sings. History is full of unknown people living humble lives of faith in response to God who not only knows them, but is with them. And God works to populate that book of life through the obedient work of his people who share the hope of the gospel. The sound in eternity is going to be that of the lifted voices of millions and millions and millions of people whose lives may have seemed insignificant and inconsequential, but whose names were written in the book of life because someone shared the good news with them and their name is never coming out. The true hope of Christmas is that Emmanuel came to be with us in order that we might go to be with him forever. He's been with his people for all of eternity. He's been guiding human history since its very beginning and he will guide it to its very end and then he will dwell with his people for all of eternity going forward. Thanks to the coming of Jesus, we can go to be with him. The names in the genealogy of Matthew chapter one point to this reality. The shepherds in Luke's gospel are witnesses to this reality and the people of the church today are to be proclaimers of this reality. I wanna end with a story about a man named Nicholas Winton. Nicholas Winton is someone that you've probably never heard of, but he saved almost 700 Jewish children from Czechoslovakia shortly before World War II. Among that group of 700 children ended up being at a number of well-known international journalists, a famous mathematician, a future British filmmaker, a world-famous geneticist, and multiple famous artists, and yet they were saved by a man that very few people have ever heard of. Of the almost 700 children whose lives were spared shortly before Christmas in 1938, 370 were never tracked and have never been found, and thus they have no idea how it is that they survived World War II. They were saved by a man that history hardly remembers and that, few people have ever, and that few people have ever heard of who undertook an act to save the lives of people he didn't know because someone needed to do it. Shortly before his death, he was interviewed and asked why it was that he embarked on such a dangerous task. And he said, because those kids needed to be saved and I had the means to do it. He carried out a task and as a result, almost 700 children got to experience life. As those who have seen Jesus and know that they are seen and saved by him, we're to carry out our tasks so that others might experience life. We have knowledge of the good news that was pronounced to an anonymous group of shepherds that came about thanks to generations of individuals, some who are unknown, and Jesus was brought into the world that the good news of the gospel might be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. Because God is with us, no life is invisible. The good news of Christmas 
is that that, is that, that message is true. The hope of the world is that that message is true. The task of the church is to make sure that everyone knows it. That Emmanuel has come. That God is with us. And through him, we can be with him forever. Emmanuel, God with us from the beginning to the end. Let's pray. God, thank you for your son. God, thank you that he's the proof that you know and see and delight in and love each and every one of us. God, thank you that through Christ, it's possible for our sin to be forgiven. God, it's possible for us to stand before you righteous and clean. God, thank you that because of Jesus Christ, born in a manger, hung on a cross, God, there's hope for us. Not just hope in life, though that's absolutely present. God, there's hope for us in eternity, that our names could be written in the book of life and nothing could ever pluck them out of it. That though we might be anonymous and feel like we're unseen and unknown here on this earth, God, for all of eternity, we can absolutely be known and spend, pre- spend our lives and our eternities in the presence of a God who not only knows us, but loves us. God, I pray that every single person in this room and the world over knows the hope of that message. God, I pray that every single person in this room and the world over takes the time to consider that message seriously. Rather than mindlessly celebrating Christmas because it's a fun holiday and a couple of days off work, God, I pray that we would think seriously about the reality of sin and our need for a Savior and the good news that Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, is God with us, come to save us from our sin. God, we're thankful for Christ and the opportunity to celebrate Him this evening. God, we're thankful that He died to save us, that He came to be with us, that we would be able to be with Him for all of eternity. God, we praise You and thank You in His matchless name. Amen.